Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Good morning. Welcome in. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kylie. Ben Alpert on the other side of the glass. I was told that we were getting ready to be in the enjoyable time of the year here in Kansas City. I am looking outside right now. Let's go ahead and check out KCTV5 News. Scattered showers and storms moving throughout the morning. Heavy rain, frequent lightning, small hail. Okay, that's good. Then we're going to have a second round of thunderstorms. That's going to move in by middays. A few storms could be strong enough. This is from KCTV5. Producing large hail, damaging winds, and the tornado risk is low. That's nice. But it is not zero. Okay, fantastic. Thank you, Alina Lee from KCTV5. So, we are here for you from 10 a.m. until noon. That's the leadoff right here on 610 Sports Radio. Like I said, I'm Brandon Kylie. We're going to pass things over to the guys, Dusty and Nick. They are going to take you until 3 o'clock. And then Jillian and Chris, they'll have you from 3 up until 5. And we've got Royals pregame coming up at 8 o'clock this evening. So, we got a lot of radio for you throughout the day. We're going to keep you company while the weather outside is a little treacherous. If you guys want to get involved in the show, 69306 is the Protein House Eat With a Purpose text line. You can always hit me up on Twitter as well. I am at BK Sports Talk. We've got a lot to do today. Craig Brown of Royals Review. I haven't talked to him on the radio in quite some time. I am very excited to do so. I want to ask him what the hell happened to Brad Keller because I was on here telling you guys like three weeks ago, hey, Brad Keller is going to be the next Lance Lynn. What is the defining trait of Lance Lynn? He throws strikes. What has been the problem this year for Brad Keller? He can't seem to throw strikes. So we'll talk about that with Craig Brown of Royals Review coming up at 1030. At 1115, my buddy Seth Kaiser of The Athletic is going to join me to tell me why I'm crazy that I actually think Le'Veon Bell makes sense for the Chiefs. By the way, we'll get into that coming up here in just about five minutes. But where I want to begin is with a very small move that Brett Veach made earlier this week that I think has large implications and that I think is very symbolic of the way that Brett Veach is going to build this roster. Brett Veach earlier this week traded a 2020 sixth round pick for Darren Lee. Now, the majority of our audience doesn't know who Darren Lee is, had never heard of him prior to this trade, and now we're excited about the fact that the Chiefs have Darren Lee on the team because that's how fandom works, right? He's a former first round pick. He's really fast. He's a linebacker, so he plays a position of need. And he was really, really, really terrible the first two years of his career. Last year, he was solid. Really good in coverage. Not so great against the run. But the hope by the Chiefs is that he can be better when he gets under the scheme that Steve Spagnuolo has here. It's a 4-3 as opposed to the 3-4 that he was playing with the Jets. And I got to tell you, I love it. I love it. I think it's a fantastic move for one reason. Because it shows us a trend of something that Brett Veach is doing that is really smart. 
Brett Veach is trading day three picks for former first and second round picks that did not work out in their first stop. He has now traded a 2026 for Darren Lee. That happened earlier this week. Last year, he traded a 2019 fourth round pick for Reggie Ragland. He was previously a second round pick, a first round talent, though, picked by the Bills. Didn't work out there. You bring him in here. It's had marginal success. I think the first year of Reggie Ragland was pretty good. Last year, not so great. Cam Irving traded a 2018 fifth round pick for him. He ultimately started games for you last year. Now, is he a great guard? No, but he's a really nice depth piece, and you got it for a fifth round pick. If you were to go back and look at the Chiefs' day three picks over the last 10 years, and this is including the John Dorsey era, and we would all agree John Dorsey's a pretty good drafter. It's like 5%. 5% of those guys actually become anything meaningful in the NFL. So what I'm telling you is the Chiefs are playing the lottery. When they're playing the lottery in the fourth, fifth, sixth round, they're hitting at like a 5% clip. When they've done it with these three guys, so far they've had Ragland, Cam Irving, and Darren Lee. These are the three lottery tickets that they've had to try to scratch off so far. I think they're one for two. I think Cam Irving absolutely produced value. And I think Reggie Ragland was basically what you'd expect out of a fourth-round pick. He had his moments, but ultimately didn't work out so well. You're hoping that Darren Lee, for a sixth-round pick, gives you one solid year of production. And if he can do that, and as of right now, based on all the reports coming out of Arrowhead, they think that he can start for them. If he can do that, and he's a really good cover linebacker for you this year, you not only got your money back on that pick, you far exceeded any of the value that you could have expected out of a 2020 sixth-round pick. So, for me, the move that we saw earlier this week, this is what Brett Veach has been best at. If you're looking for the one thing so far in Brett Veach's very early in his GM career that he's been really smart about, it's I'm going to go find the girl that's on the rebound, and we're going to be the rebound guy, right? Like the Chiefs are the team that are going to be the rebound for that girl, and they feel really good about it. And they're like, listen, if it works out, great. If not, well, we got a great three months out of this. We had some awesome dates. It was a nice fling. We had some great nights out together. We had some awesome drinks. Like, He's okay with that. If it doesn't work out, it is what it is. And you move on. You're out a sixth, seventh, eighth, or not an eighth round pick. That'd be difficult since there's no eight rounds. But you're out of day three pick, and you got the opportunity to see if there was anything there in a first or second round pick. That's valuable. That is really, really valuable. He is playing the stock market the way that you're supposed to. He's buying as low as you possibly can on an asset, seeing if he can get rich from it, and if he doesn't, he day trades and gets rid of it again. This is the way that you do it if you're Brett Veach. Congratulations. Brett Veach doing a great job with these late-round picks. And I got to tell you, it's working. Because if you look at the depth that Brett Veach has built for this roster, it's as deep of a team as we've seen in Kansas City and as long as I can remember. If you're looking at the starters, okay, there's spots where they need to upgrade. I think they still need to upgrade at cornerback. We're going to talk about that later. I think they could still use an upgrade at one of the wide receiver positions if Tyreek Hill is not going to be starting for the first eight games of the season. There are spots that you would love to find an answer for. But if you're looking at the depth right now, I mean, it's as good as you can possibly ask for. Their number four defensive end is last year's second-round pick, Breland Speaks. They have backup linebackers right now that last year would have started for them. Their safeties this year 
are literally the starters from a year ago. So the depth that he has built, and it's in part because of moves like trading for Darren Lee for a sixth-round pick, is as good as we've ever seen. So I got to I gotta give full credit to Brett Veach because the move that he made earlier this week, it's not a huge one. Darren Lee, best-case scenario, is going to be a solid player, a solid contributor for the Chiefs in 2019. But it's so much bigger than that because it symbolizes the way that Brett Veach has really started to build this roster, and I got to give him full credit for it. All right, so yesterday, the big news of the day was something none of us saw coming. This is from 93.7, the fan up in Pittsburgh. This is John Clayton talking about Le'Veon Bell. Is it? Is there a chance they would trade him before the season started? Any chance? If, if a team is interested, yeah. I can see it. I don't know what team right now is looking for a running back, but I think that Adam would do that in a second. Excuse me. What? Let's listen to this one more time. Again, this is John Clayton, a well-respected NFL insider, talking in Pittsburgh about the New York Jets, who just signed Le'Veon Bell to a $40 million contract. You're telling me, okay, Le'Veon Bell has not played a game for the Jets yet. You're telling me that the new GM, Adam Gase, so when he says Adam, remember, this is the GM and the head coach currently. He's the guy that just traded the Chiefs this linebacker, a former first-round pick for a sixth-rounder after all offseason, the previous GM was holding him up for a fourth-round pick. So you're telling me this guy, this guy that we just mentioned, Brevi, or uh, um, th- their new head coach, their new GM, Adam Gase, he's willing to do what with Le'Veon Bell? Is, it, is there a chance they would trade him before the season started? Any chance? If, if a team is interested, yeah. I can see it. I don't know what team right now is looking for a running back, but I think that Adam would do that in a second. I got to tell you, Chief should do it. Chief should do it. If they're actually being, if he, if, if that's true, and I have no reason to believe that John Clayton is not being honest, if that is true, then the Chief should make the deal. They should at least call to see what the price is. And if it's a third round pick or less, the Chief should trade for Le'Veon Bell. There are three things that need to go into any trade for any NFL team. The first is need. I think the Chiefs could use another pass catcher. I think the Chiefs could certainly stand to upgrade at running back. Now, they don't need a running back. I think Damian Williams is fine. But if you're telling me a guy who had 85 catches the last time we saw him in the NFL, which is exactly what Le'Veon Bell did, by the way, that's more than Sammy Watkins is expected to have this year. If you're telling me that guy becomes available, okay, yeah, there's a need for that on this Chiefs team. The second thing is the price. So a lot of you probably hear me say the Chiefs should trade for Le'Veon Bell, and you're like, you're crazy. That's a huge contract. There's no reason for the Chiefs to trade for that. Actually, it's pretty reasonable because the Jets have already paid him $8 million as part of his contracts. The Chiefs never have to pay. They already paid him the $3 million roster bonus. Chiefs don't have to pay that. That's $11 million of Le'Veon Bell's contract. Pretend it never existed if you're the Chiefs. So if the Chiefs were to trade for Le'Veon Bell, they would owe him $3.5 million this year and $13 million next year. So you basically are getting two years and $16 million total, and then you can cut him and you can be done with him. As Le'Veon Bell's contract, okay, the price seems reasonable to me. And the last thing you need to have if you're going to make a trade like this is the ability to do so. Because normally, if you've got a running back who is arguably one of the three best in the league, 
that is going to make $16.5 million over the next two years, that guy's not available. So there's not the ability to be able to trade for him. Based on what we just heard from John Clayton, it sure sounds like the ability is there to be able to trade for Le'Veon Bell. All of the elements of a trade are there. The only question that I would have is what would the Jets need to get? If you're talking about a second-round pick, okay, yeah, well, that's not going to happen. Chiefs aren't trading a second-round pick for Le'Veon Bell. It's just too much. If you're telling me it's going to take a third or less, yeah, let's talk about it. Let's talk about that. Because an 85, a guy that can catch you 85 passes, guy that can line up in the slot for you when, uh, when Tyreek Hill is out, guy that can carry the ball 300 times for you if you need him to, yeah, you get into January with Le'Veon Bell and Tyreek Hill and Sammy Watkins and Travis Kelsey and Damian Williams as a backup with Patrick Mahomes leading the charge and Andy Reid calling plays for him? Yeah, hell yeah, man. Sign me up for that. I know there's going to be a lot of people in our audience that say that this is absolutely not what they should do. I disagree. I think this is exactly what they should do. I understand the arguments against it. It's expensive. $13.5 million in year two, that's a lot of money for a running back. But he's the best in the game right now. And if you can upgrade at that position for $3.5 million this year when you're in a win-now window and you're trying to win a Super Bowl, sign me up for that. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. The Protein House Eat With a Purpose text line is 69306. You can always hit me up on Twitter as well, at BK Sports Talk. We're going to catch up with Craig Brown coming up in 15 minutes. But coming up next, Alex Gordon says he wants to play again next year. I think he should. I think the Royals should welcome him back with open arms. We'll discuss it next. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. The leadoff with Brandon Kiley, 610 Sports Radio. Welcome back. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kiley. Ben Alpert helping us out on the other side of the glass. 69306 is the protein house seat with the purpose text line. You can always get involved with me on Twitter as well. I am at BK Sports Talk. So earlier this week, yesterday actually, Jeffrey Flanagan of MLB.com had a fantastic story in which he said he talked to Alex Gordon. And Alex Gordon told him, quote, I give my wife percentages at the beginning of the year as to how likely it is that I come back the next season. At the beginning of this season, I gave her a 50-50. Then it moved to 55-45. Now I'm at about 60-40. He then went on to say, Alex Gordon this is, I don't want to play anywhere else. I want to retire as a royal. I've established my family here with my kids. This is my home. We'll see how next year plays out. But do I feel like I can still play? Yeah. I can still play. I'd say so. If you've been watching him this year, it certainly seems like he can still. He's batting. He can still play. He's batting 290. He's got a 900 OPS, which is an on-base plus slugging. That's fantastic for the year. And right now, Alex Gordon is on pace for 47 doubles, 30 home runs, and 120 RBIs. If you just look up right now, the list of Royals in the history of the franchise that have finished a year, and I'm going low here because, you know, these paces probably won't continue at that rate. Let's say he finishes with 40 doubles, 20 home runs, and 100 RBIs. Seems reasonable given the fact that he's expected to right now to exceed all of those. That's been done eight times in Royals history. The list of the players that have done it, George Brett, Hal McRae, Mike Sweeney, Jermaine Dye, Carlos Beltran, and in 2015, the Royals World, World, World Series year, Kendris Morales did it. The list of players that did it over the age of 30, which is what Alex Gordon would be trying to accomplish, Hal McRae, George Brett, 
Kendris Morales. Alex Gordon right now is putting together one of the best age 30-plus seasons that we've seen in franchise history. Point blank, period, end of story, full stop. So if Alex Gordon wants to play again, Alex Gordon should play again. He looks like the Alex Gordon of old. In fact, he actually looks better than the Alex Gordon of old. We talked to Cody Tapp about this yesterday on the drive, and here's what he had to say about the fact that he is not surprised Alex Gordon wants to come back. Even in talking to him before, you know, before the season started, you know, he had said, you know, I don't know if I'm going to play beyond this year because I want to be good. Like, I want to be playing well. I want there to be a reason to keep playing. I'm not going to just play to play. And he made it really clear when he signed with Kansas City the last time that he had no interest in going anywhere else. I really don't think he wants to go anywhere else. I think he wants to play with Kansas City till the very end. Some of this stuff is overrated. I think there's real value in having Alex Gordon play his entire career here. I do. I think there's value in having a guy from 2007 to, let's say, 2020. The only place that he played, the place where he won multiple gold gloves, was a multi-time All-Star, was a one-time World Series champion, a two-time AL champion. I think there's real value in having that guy play for one team over the course of his career and for that team to be right here in Kansas City. I think that matters, especially in an era where if you were my age growing up, I'm 26 years old, the guys you grew up watching were guys like Johnny Damon and Joe uh, and Carlos Beltran and Jermaine Dye, all of whom went on to play elsewhere, all of whom had the start of their careers here, or Zach Grinke, for instance. They had the start of their careers here, and then they went on to do better, bigger and better things elsewhere because that's just kind of what you expected as a Royals fan. Okay, they're going to have five, six years here. We're going to trade them, and they're going to go play for New York or Boston or L.A. or wherever. And they're going to do big things there. And that's just kind of how it is to be a Royals fan. Alex Gordon represents the start of something different. Alex Gordon represents the start of, for the first time in my life, certainly, and for probably a lot of our audience's life, the first time that the Royals were like, you know what, we're going to keep them. We're going to keep them. Because going into, if you guys remember, and obviously we all have revisionist history about the way that the contract went, but if you remember how the contract started, Everybody was stunned that the Royals were able to get him back. And everybody was thrilled about the fact that Alex Gordon was coming back because he had been a really good player. The season before, he was hitting 270. He had 13 home runs. Like, he had some injury issues, but he had been playing really well over the life of the contracts that he had previously. So, it was exciting. It was a good move. It was a thing that every Royals fan could get behind. And so, when we get to this point now... And yes, the contracts didn't go the way that we expected it to. It was a abject failure for the majority of it. But Alex Gordon represents some change for the Royals. He represents the changing of the guard in the way that they handle their players, in the way that, okay, now you can keep these guys. Salvador Perez, I expect to be a Royal for his career. Whit Merrifield, I think he's going to stay in Kansas City for the entirety of his career. You know, here's, a, here's a good one. Adalberto Mondesi, when I was growing up, would have been traded two years from now. We would be watching him right now with the full expectation that Mondesi would not re-sign here. There's no way. There's no way that that guy finishes his his career in Kansas City. Instead, what's going to happen, he's going to be really good. He's going to put together an all-time season. And by the way, it's exactly what he's doing right now. As of last night, he is now on pace 
for 135 RBIs and 55 stolen bases. The last player with more than 100 RBIs and 50 stolen bases in a single season was Barry Bonds in 1990. It's been almost 30 years since that that's happened. So, yeah, Mondesi's putting together a historic season. That's the kind of thing he would do right before the Royals would trade him when I was growing up. And so it's significant that Alex Gordon's going to spend his entire career here because he's symbolic of the change that happened within the Royals organization as we were growing up, as some of us were growing up. I did want to mention one other thing here before we get to Craig Brown of Royals Review coming up here in just about five minutes or so. I think what Merrifield deserves a lot of credit for the way that he handled this week. Earlier this week, it was the big news that Nicky Lopez was going to be called up. This time last Saturday, I was telling you guys about how I was confused about the handling of Nicky Lopez and how he should have been up. And if they viewed what Merrifield does as second baseman of the future, okay, then that changes everything. I think Whit Merrifield saw himself as the second baseman of the future. And I think the Royals went to Whit Merrifield and they said, listen, we've got two options here. We can either have you be the second baseman moving forward, and this is going to be what the team looks like for the foreseeable future, or you can move to the outfield. We can bring up Nicky Lopez, and we can see if he changes things. Here's what Ned Yo said this conversation went like. It was was a two-minute conversation. I'm willing to do whatever we need to do. I can handle any position on the field, and I'll be willing to play wherever you want me to play. And here's what Whit Merrifield had to say about that same conversation when he was asked about it. I'm excited for Nicky. You know, I really am. He's a great kid, a great player from what I've seen, and I'm excited to see what he can do up here. I really think he's going to help our team. And at the end of the day, I'm sick of losing. I really am. And we think he's going to make us better, and whatever's going to make us better is, is what we're excited for. If you watched that game in Nicky Lopez's debut, I believe it was Tuesday night, Whit Merrifield at the end of the game, he had a career milestone, 500 hits. He was the first guy to get interviewed. Then they went over to Nicky Lopez. He finishes his interview, walks off, and it feels like that's the end, and they're going to interview Nicky Lopez about his first hit, his, his debut up at, with the Royals. He gave him a salvy splash. That's a really small thing. It's, it, it's relatively insignificant for most of us. But in a moment when he could have soaked it all in, he could have been the star, he made sure to give the kid his credit. He made sure to give the kid his due. The kid who, by the way, took his spot where he wanted to play. He wanted to play second base. And this kid took his spot. It's better for the team. And Witt says, yeah, that's what we needed to do. That's the kind of guy you built around. That's the leader that the Royals needed. That's why Whit Merrifield's not getting traded. That's why he's a part of the core moving forward. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kylie. Ben Alpert helping us out on the other side of the glass. Coming up in about 20 minutes, Brett Veach viewed the Chiefs defense the exact same way that all of our casual fans did. So we'll get into that coming up at 1045. But coming up next, I want to ask Craig Brown of Royals Review exactly what has happened to Brad Keller. We saw it again last night. He's just not throwing strikes. What's going on here? Craig Brown of Royals Review joins us next. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. The leadoff with Brandon Kiley, 610 Sports Radio. Welcome back. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kylie. Ben Alpert helping us out on the other side of the glass. Coming up in just about 10 minutes or so, Brett Veach viewed the Chiefs defense the exact same way that the casual Chiefs fan did. We'll get into that coming up here in just about 10 minutes or, or so. But right now, we go out to the leadoff hotline to talk with my friend Craig Brown. You can read his work on Royals Re- Review and Baseball Prospectus. You can give him a follow on Twitter as well, at Craig Brown underscore BP. Craig, how you doing this morning, man? 
I'm good, Brandon. Thanks for having me on today. Absolutely. It's fantastic to have you on once again. So let's start with last night's starter because I think Brad Keller is becoming a bit of a disappointing story this year, which is not something I anticipated. Uh, He's not throwing strikes. He's got the lowest strikeout-to-walk ratio in the league among qualified starters. Craig, you watch this team as much as anybody. What have you seen that's gone wrong for Brad Keller this year? Yeah, he's just having a heck of a time with the control. I mean, it's it's just it's really something that you know I don't think anybody really saw coming with the walks last night. You know, the the second inning, of course, was just a, a massive struggle for him. Where he threw, I, I think it was like thirty pitches to get through the inning. Walked uh, a few batters in that inning. Overall, he's approaching six walks per nine innings. I mean, that's that's a massive, mm. massive amount. I haven't checked, like, the leaderboards or anything like that, but, I mean, if he's not number one, he's got to be knocking on that door. Yeah, he's number two right now, um, right behind you, Darvish. <laughs> yeah, and we all know that you, Darvish, has, has struggled like yeah. crazy. Um, yeah, not good company for him. Um, so... It, it's just it, it, it's hard to say because you know last night he kind of he kind of bounced back and, and I know that Ed in, in his post game comments said you know that, that he was was pleased with how he kind of recovered after that struggle of the second inning and he did kind of seem to right the ship a little bit. Um, it, it's just it, it's it's weird for him. It just kind of falls apart. Um, you know, I'm not seeing anything. You know, from from like a delivery standpoint, motion standpoint, that, that's going on. It's just that that he's having a hard time finding the strike. Zone. And when he loses it, man, he loses it, right? I mean, I mean, he was throwing some pitches in that second inning that were just had no shot. I mean, just way outside. Um, so you know, I, I mean, the Royals have to solve this. I mean, you know, he's not he's not an ace. It's like you know, you say, hey, this is one of the best pitchers in the league, but. You know, he's certainly one of the most important pieces of this Royals rotation. So they, they got to unlock this inconsistency and, and, and get him locked back in. So I find it interesting because I'm looking at the numbers right now, and these aren't the end-all, be-all, but Danny Duffy's got a 4-0 ERA, basically. Uh, Homer Bailey's at a 5-4, but he doesn't matter moving forward, obviously. Jacob Junis at a 5-8. Jorge Lopez at a 6-3 right now. Brad Keller at a 4-7, and he, like you just said, he can't find the strike zone. Listen, I'm the last one to call for a coach's job. I'm the last one to suggest that this is all on a pitching coach or something like that. But at some point, do we have to ask the question of, is the pitching coach that's in there right now the right guy to be able to develop these young pitchers? And if that's the case, like, you got to fix that here pretty soon, don't they? Yeah, I think it's a fair question. Uh, although, you know, I, I, I struggle with how much influence a pitching coach has at this level. Okay. But you're, you're, you're right. I, I mean – You've got to see progress. You can't have mass regression, which is kind of what we're seeing right here. I, I mean, those guys, those five guys that you listed, can you honestly say that anyone has taken a step forward or even maintained what they were doing last year? Um, you know, no, you can't say that. So, so you know, the, the coach is always the, the easy target, you know, may or may not be justified. I'm, I'm not there quite yet, but, you know, I, I mean – and partially because it's it's like these, these arms. I mean, you got Keller, a, a Rule Five guy. You know, Junis. Uh, you know, I, I never really thought of him as anything really more than like a number four type starter. Um, Lopez, you know, kind of the same. So it's it's not like 
you know, you've, you've got these, these guys that are like, you know, say the Danny Duffy pedigree, right? Sure. Like, hey, we're looking at a bunch of number one, number two type starters here. But still, you got to, you know, figure out a way to excel with what you're working with. And, and right now, these guys are just kind of not getting it done. We're talking with Craig Brown. You can read his work on Royals Review and Baseball Prospectus. You can give him a follow on Twitter as well. You should do so, at Craig Brown underscore BP. So we got out the hard part of this, that being the rotation. The lineup has actually been a little bit more fun to watch than I expected this year, Craig. Um, I want to ask you about the story from earlier this week, which was, of course, Nicky Lopez making his debut. We are now through four games. He's batting three seventy five. He's getting on base almost at a 50% clip. Is this pretty much what you expected from Nicky Lopez early on? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm crazy impressed with with, with how he's handled himself so far. Um, you know, I, I, I it's small sample size and everything, but he's doing everything that the Royals hoped for. And and you know, I thought it was a little bold to put him in at number two in the in the in the lineup. Uh, you know, fresh up from Triple A, it's worked perfectly. Uh, he fits right in. Um, you know, I, I've been excited. I, I've been as excited to watch him play than any prospect in you know recent memory, um, just because of the way that he takes his at bats. I mean, the guy is a grinder. He's he's just he's fun to watch. He's he walks, battled. He Craig. They have a guy that walks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He walks and he doesn't strike out. You know, I mean, I, I, I saw him go down swinging last night. I was like, oh man. You know, I mean, that's notable, <laughs> right? Because. That's not supposed to happen. Uh, yeah, he's only struck out twice in his 19 plate appearances so far. He doesn't look overmatched or overwhelmed. I mean, you know, again, we got to kind of temper our expectations. I think he's a he's a very good player. He's not, you know, like a, a savior of this team. Sure. But he's a guy that that's a that's a great fit. Um, you know, for any team really uh, up the middle. So, you know, I, I mean, it, it's, it's been a great start for him. I'm, I'm, I'm super excited to, to see what happens uh, going forward. So I was thinking kind of big picture the other day, Craig, and I put together a list because I was like, you know, it, it feels like this team's not maybe as far away as I expected them to be at this point of the season. I was just kind of going position by position. I was like, all right, catcher, you feel like Salvi's kind of your answer there. Second base now, you feel like you've filled with Nicky Lopez, at least for the foreseeable future. Mondesi is certainly your shortstop of the future. I feel like based on what we've seen this year, at least for next season, Hunter Dozier is going to be playing third. You got Witt somewhere in the outfield. Jorge Soler is probably going to be your DH at least for the next year or so. I, it feels kind of to me, Craig, and you can correct me if you disagree, it feels like at least six of next year's nine position players are kind of already written in stone into the lineup. That If you're a Royals fan, that's got to feel pretty good for you right now based on, obviously, the record, not what you hoped, but that's kind of a successful start to the year. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I mean, I, I think that this, um, you know, it's really interesting how this team is, is kind of folded together and, and, you know, how strong that top half of that lineup has been. Um, I, I, I think that... Uh, yeah, the, the the future offensively looks good. I, I, they've struggled lately. They've had a difficult time scoring runs. I think a team like the Royals is, is going to kind of run into that from time to time. Uh, other than their 11-run outburst on Tuesday, they've had games. Well, they haven't scored more than three runs, you know, in a week aside from that game. Or, uh, you know what I mean? Uh, right. <laughs> but so, but but. Uh, it, it, 
It, it is a it is a good lineup. It's a it's a fun lineup to watch. It, it's it's a reason to tune in. But you know, you, we can talk about the lineup, and yeah, that's a positive. But uh, unfortunately, the counterbalance, the the pitching, is you know not there, which is why they're you know in last in in the American League right. overall with a 333 winning percentage. Uh, they 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 gotta you know balance this out somehow. Um, but the, you know, it's it's nice though, at least that they can move forward with the lineup, feeling pretty well set. They don't need to do a lot of uh, a, a lot of adjusting or any kind of overhaul on it because uh, these guys are going to be here for a while. Final question for Craig Brown. You can read his work on Royals Review and Baseball Perspectives, and follow him on Twitter at Craig Brown underscore BP. Craig, yesterday Alex Gordon told Jeffrey Flanagan that he is actually starting to lean towards another season of playing baseball only if that season is here in Kansas City. Would that be something you're interested in? Uh, I mean, the way he's played this year, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and, and he's not blocking anybody. Um, you know, I, I, uh, somebody asked me the other day, you know, uh, what's, what's Alex Gordon going to do next year? And I said he's going to do whatever he wants to do. And, and if, if he wants to be back in Kansas City, I, I think that there's a way to get him back. Um, I think, uh, you know, I, I know that the Royals would probably love to have him back just from the experience standpoint. They value experience, leadership. You know, he brings that, uh, a character guy, obviously, into the clubhouse. Um, and, and if he's producing this the, the way that he's produced, I mean, we're excited about the young guys. We're excited about Nicky Lopez, about Whit Merrifield, about Adalberto Mondesi. But for me, one of the best stories so far in the early going has been the literal rebirth of Alex Gordon as an offensive force. Uh, it's, it's, been, it's been really fun to see. I'm, I'm super stoked that, that this guy is getting out there and, and making the most of this opportunity in, in the final year of his deal. I was thinking that he would hang it up at the end of this year. But, mm. but you know, I was not surprised to, to see uh, those, those comments in that, that Flanagan article this week. Um, and, and, you know, I, we'll, we'll see how it plays out, obviously. There's still a lot more baseball to go, but I would not be surprised to see him back uh, next year. And, and it makes sense. The only place that he wants to be is Kansas City. It makes total sense. He is Craig Brown. You can read his work. Royals Review is the place to find it, as well as at Baseball Prospectus. You can feel him a follow on Twitter at Craig Brown underscore BP. Craig, always appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us this morning. Thanks a lot, Brandon. You bet, man. That is Craig Brown joining us here on the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I think he's right. I think if you're looking at the Royals and you're looking at next year, there's no obvious clear candidate to play left field. And I think Alex Gordon is as obvious of a candidate as you could possibly have, especially if he's able to keep this up. Coming up in just about 15 minutes, the Royals' new core has arrived, and they might not be as far away as you think. Plus, coming up next, Brett Veach viewed this defense the exact same way that any of our casual fans listening viewed it. We'll discuss that next. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. The leadoff with Brandon Kiley, 610 Sports Radio. Welcome back and ease the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kylie. Ben Alpert helping us out on the other side of the glass. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at BK Sports Talk. Always get involved in the show. The Protein LZ with a purpose sex line is 69306. Coming up in just about 10 minutes or so, the Royals' new core has arrived, and they might not be as far away as you think. We'll get into that coming up in just about 10 minutes. But right now, I think Brett Veach kind of viewed this defense the same way the casual fan did. 
So the casual fan over the last few years in sports has kind of gotten disrespected. We're moving into this whole analytics era, right? And there's there's all the numbers that are out there. And so the casual fan typically just looks at this as something of, oh, right, yeah, we're just going to kind of look at this through our gut. We watch the game on Sundays, and then we just kind of talk about what we think. So the casual fan viewed the Chiefs defense this way. Justin Houston, overrated, overpaid. D Ford, that guy's overrated. He got a bunch of sacks, but he really didn't do anything else. Chiefs linebackers are too slow. Chiefs safeties are too old. Eric Berry, not that good anymore. He needs to play more often. He's not worth the money. I mean, if we're looking at the way that the Chiefs approached the offseason, Justin Houston, D Ford, gone. They brought three linebackers in that have speed. They cut Eric Berry. They signed Tyron Matthew. They draft Juan Thornhill. They bring in Frank Clark, then made two other moves for defensive ends. Man, if we're looking at this defense openly and honestly, the casual fan was right about everything. Anybody who tried to spin you that the defense was better than the numbers portrayed because they were having a bunch of plays against them because the offense was so good, anybody who tried to sell you that the safeties were better than you think or that the defensive line was one of the best in the league. Maybe they were right. Maybe. But the Chiefs certainly didn't think they were right. The Chiefs looked at this defense and said, D-line, got to get revamped. Linebackers need more speed. Safeties can't play with these guys. Coaching staff, got to go. They revamped everything, man. I was looking at this the other day. So there's a site that has the updated depth charts, right? It's called R-Lads. It's not anything like new school or anything. I'm just literally looking at the depth chart. And I was like, all right, it feels like the defense has really been kind of overturned, right? Like It feels like all of the names that I remember as just starting last year in the playoffs, it feels like most of those guys are gone now. Let's look and see just how true that is. Chris Jones, still here. Derek Noddy, still here. Anthony Hitchens, still here. Kendall Fuller still here. The other seven starters have changed on defense. Seven starters. Think about how much you have to hate your defensive unit to be like, you know what? Over the course of one offseason, we're going to change seven starters, every position coach, and the defensive coordinator. You have four guys returning. Four that were in the starting lineup last year. Chris Jones, Derek Noddy, who's going to play like 30% of the snaps. Um, Anthony Hitchens, who you paid a billion dollars to, so he's got to be back. You didn't really have a choice there. And Kendall Fuller, who you just traded for last offseason, and he's super cheap. That's amazing. It really is amazing. And so, like, when we take the big picture view, because we we a lot of the times get very micro on this show and elsewhere just because we're in Kansas City, and so we're kind of looking at the day-to-day operations of what the Chiefs are doing, whether it be on defense or just in general, Right. We take it step by step. We look at free agency. We look at the draft individually. We look at the draft by round. And then all of a sudden, okay, we're in the post-draft part of the the comp pick system no longer applies to the free agents that you can sign. So we're getting into that, the nitty-gritty. And then we're looking at some of the other trades that could be out there for the Chiefs. If we step out of the micro and look in the macro, and we just start looking at, okay, what does the defense actually look like now? And we compare it to what the defense looked like last year. There is no comparison. It's not the same defense. If I told you 
there was a team that signed three guys from another team to be their new defenders, right? Like, let's say this offseason, the Falcons signed three guys on their offense that previously played for the Patriots. We're not going to compare the 2019 Falcons offense to the 2018 Falcons offense, right? Or, excuse me, 2018 Patriots offense. Just because you signed three guys to come play for you doesn't mean that you're going to have the same effect as what that other team did. That's what the Chiefs' defense is now. They essentially took as many guys from elsewhere as they could, revamped the coaching staff, and they're starting anew. And so when people bring up the 2018 Chiefs' defense and say, can the 2019 Chiefs' defense be better? The correct answer, first of all, is yes. And as a secondary point to whoever you're talking to, there is no comparison. It's a 4-3 as opposed to a 3-4. It's a new staff from top to bottom. There is literally one position coach that's back, and he got relegated to assistant. He was a position coach. Now he's an assistant position coach. Seven of the 11 starters, and really eight of the 11, because one of them is a sub-package guy, are going to be different this year. This is not the 2018 Chiefs defense anymore. Now, that's not to suggest that they're going to be great. They could still have really big struggles. The cornerback position is something that I am legitimately worried about at this point. Bashad Breeland, Kendall Fuller, and Charvarius Ward are your top three corners. In a league where your three corners are going to be playing 75% of the time, Charvarius Ward's going to be on the field 75% of the time. So is Bashad Breeland. So is Kendall Fuller. They need another corner. They just do. But if you're looking top to bottom, and we're looking at this in the macro, the Chiefs defense is not comparable to what they were last year. Last year, the Chiefs defense had Reggie Ragland starting at points in time. This year, there's a question as to whether or not Reggie Ragland's going to make the team. Last year, the Chiefs defense had Breland Speaks starting a number of games. This year, Breland Speaks is at best the fourth best defensive end on the roster. Last year, the Chiefs' number three defensive tackle was Xavier Williams. This year, I don't know that he's going to make the roster because Colin Saunders is going to get all of his snaps. I say all of that to say this. If you want to compare the Chiefs' defense from last year to this year, that's fine. But at least acknowledge that the casual fan was right about this. The Chiefs' defense stunk. We all knew that. We could look at the numbers. We could look at the way that it went. We could look at the Chiefs' AFC championship game and say, yeah, the Chiefs' defense lost them that game. Okay, Chiefs casual fan was telling that all year long. They called out Justin Houston as overpaid and overrated. They said D Ford was overrated for the sack numbers. The linebackers, too slow. Safety's part of the problem. Eric Berry, got to go. The Chiefs clearly agreed with them. So moving forward, the Chiefs are going with seven, seven new starters, eight new starters in certain situations. This is not the same 2018 defense. This is not even close to being the same 2018 defense. There is no comparison between the 2018 Chiefs and the 2019 Chiefs. But I would still like them to get a corner. I would still like them to go out and find a guy that can play corner for them because right now you have Bashad Breeland and Charvarius Ward. That's the one significant thing that I'm still a little worried about. But just as an aside, there are three names that I'll give you to watch for. Three names. Just quick three names that I would say you should watch for. The Redskins cutting Josh Norm is not totally out of the question. And if he's cut, you can have the top three corners from the 2017 uh, uh, Redskins defense. I'd be down with that. Josh Norman, that's number one. Number two, 
Janoris Jenkins. If the Giants cut Janoris Jenkins, he's somebody that I'd be interested in coming to this team. The third name, and this would be back to the Brett Veach special. He loves first and second round busts who couldn't make it in their current situation because he believes in his infrastructure and his coaching staff to be able to get the most out of these players. If the Buccaneers were to cut or trade Vernon Hargraves, a former top 15 pick in the NFL draft, that's a guy I could see Brett Veach going after. He was seen as a great cover corner. He has not been that for the Bucs, and maybe he's just a bust that's never going to work. But this is the type of move that Brett Veach always makes. Finding a guy that was a top 20 pick, that had a lot of talent, that he really liked coming into the draft, that for whatever reason, it didn't work in his current situation. If the Bucs were to cut or trade Vernon Hargraves, that's a name that I could see the Chiefs going after. So the three names to watch for at cornerback, Josh Norman, Janoris Jenkins, Vernon Hargraves, any of the three could be cut or traded at some point between now and the beginning of the season. You guys already know to keep an eye on Patrick Peterson. But that ain't happening until at least week seven. So Patrick Peterson, keep your name, keep your eye on him. But you don't got to worry about that till October. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kylie. Ben Alpert helping us out on the other side of the glass. The Protein House, eat with a purpose. Text line is 69306. You can hit me up on Twitter as well. I am at BK Sports Talk. Coming up at 11.15, Seth Kaiser of The Athletic is going to join us. But coming up next, the Royals' new core has arrived. I think I'm buying into it, and they might not be as far away as we all seem to believe. We'll get into it next. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. The leadoff with Brandon Kylie, 610 Sports Radio. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See t 